We have many titles around here. I'm not Pastor Paul Reich. I'm not Pastor Paul Valley. I'm Pastor Mark Stevenson. Pastor Paul Reich will be coming up here shortly. <laughs> We're going to do something we haven't done for at least two and a half years, maybe even three, but... Uh, we're going to do a commissioning service this morning. And uh, we're going to have all the Stephen ministers come up to the front. Uh, Stephen ministers and, and Stephen ministries, uh, ministers that have been trained. We've gone through uh, training January through March of Stephen ministers. And um, it's quite a process, the training for Stephen ministry, but it is a commitment because it's a, a quite a ministry when we're ministering to people in their time of need. Stephen ministers come alongside you and uh, people outside in our community when we're going through time of grief, when we're going through times of struggle of any kind of crisis in our life. And so the training is taken very seriously because people are very vulnerable when we're in those seasons in our lives. And so we're, we screen people that come in, we talk to people, we find out who they are, what they're about. They have to be coming to the church, we have to know them. And so like it's a, it's a ministry that is, it is pretty heavy duty and heavy going. And I just want to uh, ask some questions. I've never done it like this before, but I've, I saw the Stephen ministry material. They've got a, a, we've got, when we come back from Stephen ministry training in the States, you get about a, a file folder that's that big. And it's like 35 pounds that you got to bring back with you, just files. Like they cover everything. And so after all these years, uh, I got handed this and it's the Stephen ministry uh, commissioning service. And so I just want to say, that as trained Stephen ministers, uh, patient listening is a skill that you've learned through your training this past winter. And as the Holy Spirit has gifted you with gifts for service, we are asking uh, you to use those skills and talents to help and serve the people in need. As uh, Jesus has shown his care to you, we ask that you as Stephen ministers help this congregation grow as a caring community through this caring ministry. So that's quite a responsibility that you have there, hey? It's a, it's a pretty awesome thing. Are you prepared to meet those requests that we ask of you as Stephen ministers? Are you prepared to nurture the skills? I probably should have asked you if these questions before you come up here, right? Just in case you didn't. <laughs> There's only one more. <laughs> Are you prepared to nurture the skills you have learned uh, in the Stephen ministry training to support, encourage, build up, and comfort people in their time of need? Amen. That's the whole idea of Stephen ministry. And I think if they weren't into that, they wouldn't have stuck it out as Stephen ministry training because that takes perseverance. So it is our prayer that you as a congregation will open up your hearts to this ministry and these people and pray for them. You know, this is really is a difficult area of ministry. When people are going through crisis, you've got all kinds of different emotions that are going on in, in our lives when, we're, when we've lost somebody that's very close to us or, uh, you know, going through a time of divorce or something like that. Like the emotions are all over the place. And so that's why the training is so intense. They, uh, through role playing, we really work to try to help everybody experience a little bit of different, just a, a tinge of the emotion that uh, we would go through as we go through these different types of crises. Um, and we'd also ask you as a body to accept their ministry when you need help. 
to allow these individuals to work with you when you face struggles in your life that you might receive support and help from Christian brothers and sisters. That's why this ministry is here. It's for you. And uh, we want to support you. We want to be here for you as a congregation, as the body of Christ. We want to support you as you go through life because we all grow through stuff. And it doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't have to be this crisis that's really wiping you out. It can be a struggle, a loss of a job, anything you have a struggle with. You know, we have Stephen ministers here for you to, they just come alongside, walk with you. They don't try to fix you. They just come along to show support and to pray with you and agree with you in prayer. And if you have loved ones that are going through crisis, you know, we offer, we want to reach out into our community. That's ultimately our goal, reach out into this community and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so I would just ask if you would stand with me while we pray for these people. And Lord, I thank you, Father God, for these people that have taken this training. And uh, Lord God, have such a passion to reach out, to be there for people as they go through difficulty. We pray your blessing on them. Pray that you'd give them wisdom and give them passion. Give them desire, Father God, for the things that you would call them to do with their lives. And as they serve as Stephen ministers, we pray protection on them. And we pray, Lord God, that they would just uh, be your hands, your feet. When people look into their eyes as their Stephen minister, that they would see you, Lord, and just be comforted by that. We bless them. We send them forth in your name, Jesus, to go and do the work to which you have called them to do at this season in their life. And we support them as a church and as a leadership in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Dave's going to hand out the certificates. These are certificates that we get you know that you can actually get, it's a, it's a long enough uh, program that you can get credits by taking Stephen Ministry. You know, if you want to pay a little extra, you can get cred, uh, college credits for it. But at this time, I'm going to invite Paul Reich to come up. Paul Reich used to be here as one of our pastors, our associate pastor, uh, around the year 2000, 2008. And uh, we had a great camaraderie going Paul and I we used to go to the gym and you say it looks like Pastor Mark you better go to the back to the gym you haven't been there for a while it's COVID it's COVID but Pastor Paul or I always want to call him Pastor Paul because to me you are Pastor Paul uh, has been the president at uh, Clearwater Bible College for those of you who don't know Pastor Paul Paul right here and uh, I guess the gifts of God without called without repentance, so he's going to be Pastor Paul forever to me. <laughs> so, Paul, just uh, want to yeah. bless you and just uh, you, say amen. Just let God flow through you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. This is just in case you start throwing tomatoes and... <laughs> It's good to be with you. Um, hopefully you can endure my voice a little bit. I'm 14, eight, no, 16 days into this whole thing, so I'm good and clean and all that stuff, but there's still some things dragging on for me, and one of them is my, my voice. 
A little bit of background, Uh, I'm now with Plumline Ministries, and Plumline Ministries, uh, our purpose is aligning lives to God's Word, and that's both the living Word and the written Word. If you're interested, you can check out my website, uh, uh, plumlineministries.org. I've got blogs on there, I've been blogging. I started weekly, went to monthly, I'm to twice a month now, (laughs) because... uh, that's about the right pace. These aren't just shallow blogs. If you're wanting a verse and a two-minute thought devotional, those are all over the place. These are a little deeper. You're going to get in them. They're sometimes 10 to 12, 13 minutes long. And uh, they are systematically going through important topics for your Christian life. And so I would welcome you to take a look at that. Uh, you can uh, sign up and receive notices of each blog as it's posted. Um, uh, I do traveling. I do a lot of speaking. I'm booked through June and into the summer. And I also do writing and teaching still out at the college. So there's a lot of things going on in my world right now. Just an update on my wife, Lynn. Um, this is from several months ago. Her, as you know, she's been fighting cancer. Uh, Her hair is thinning in this picture. This is our latest granddaughter who's now four months or going on five months. And um, my wife gets very nurtured just spending time with with the grandkids. Uh, We had to, there came the time when everyone did the solidarity shave. And so here's our four kids with Lynn and then there's them trying on all the wigs that are available. <laughs> and had to throw in a picture of myself. So, the rest of them, their hair is growing in much better than mine. Uh, I've lost some, so it's not coming in quite as well. And so here's Lynn. This is uh, just a couple weeks back. Um, and her hair is growing in well. She's, she's 63, no gray hair. Isn't that amazing? And uh, so spending time with grandkids. So that's a little bit of an update. Uh, this morning, I would like to talk about the shield of faith. And it's part, this is a message that comes from one of the seminars that I do on the armor of God. And uh, if, uh, by the way, there's brochures and other information out there if you're interested in uh, finding out more about what I do. How many here have heard of whelks before? Few people, okay. How many here have heard of Lawrence Welk? <laughs> okay, that's the only Welk I knew of when I was a kid. My grandma used to watch Lawrence Welk and my parents, and, and it was on for a long time, <laughs> the Lawrence Welk show. But Welks are ca- carnivorous snails. And what, what they do is they will attach themselves to clams and mollusks and oysters, these bivalve other uh, creatures, and they will use their tongue. They fasten themselves to the shell, and they use their tongue, which has rough rows of teeth on it, and they secrete an acid, and they slowly work their way to dig a hole in the shell. And then just like a spider will swill the insides of the insect that a spider catches, that's what a whelk does. It introduces its juices, and it swills out the inside of whatever prey that it's attached itself to. 
Here's some other pictures. So if you find seashells and they have these types of uh, holes on them, that might have been what happened uh, to that particular seashell. To me, this is a picture of what the devil wants to do. The devil wants to get through your defenses and devour you. He wants to eat you on the inside. His goal is to pierce your armor with his fiery darts. His goal is to create doubt and fear and despair and bring you to a state where you are spiritually and psychologically defeated. And he'll do that in many different ways. The apostle Peter says this, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Just a few insights from this passage. First of all, sober uh, means to be in control of your thoughts and, and passions. That's what sober means to be in control of your thoughts and passions. And, and this is actually a recurring theme from Peter. He mentions it in the first chapter. He, he talks about uh, gird up the loins of your mind, being sober and alert. And that, that is an image of, that's warfare image, girding up the loins of your mind. In those days, men wore robes, <laughs> longer clothes. Try running in a robe. So they would have to gird up their, their robes, and there was multiple ways that they did that, to be prepared for action. And so when he talks about be prepared for action in your mind as some of the modern translations, but it's literally gird up the loins of your mind. Why? Because you need to be prepared for battle. And so he picks up this theme again and being sober, be alert, be on the watch. And I find it interesting that this passage comes right after some other important passages. It goes back to because I think there's two ways that make us vulnerable to the enemy. One is pride, the other is anxiety. And so in the context here, he says, you younger men likewise uh, submit to your elders and so on. Why? Because God's opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. How many know the, the devil um, specializes in pride? That's who he is. Okay, so, so one of the ways we humble ourselves is by submitting to those who are over us. But another way, he says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in the proper time. That's the command, humble yourself. How do you do that? Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Why? Because a proud person doesn't need God. A proud person doesn't need to pray. A proud person says, I can do it on my own. But a humble person says, I can't do it. God, I need you. I'm gonna cast my cares on you because I know you care for me. And I'll tell you, if you don't get that far, what happens is the enemy will use your pride and your independence and your anxiety and your fear and he will trip you up. And it's right after this, it says, be of sober spirit. <laughs> because here's the issue. Pride, you think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's not being of sober spirit. And anxiety, you think of God less highly than you ought. And, and then we're not sober in either way. And so when we come into this, if I've got pride or anxiety, I'm not coming in with a sober spirit. 
But as I come in, then my adversary, he's prowling around. He's looking to get me down. You know, someone said, all the water in the world can't sink a ship unless it gets inside the boat. And if the devil, no matter what trials you go through, no matter what struggles you go through on the outside, if it's on the outside and you've got strength on the inside, you can stand. But once the devil gets past that and you become anxious, you begin to be fearful and fretting, watch out. Because that's where the defeat comes. It's on the inside. And so the devil prowls around seeking to devour you. But it says, resist him firm in the faith. And then it goes on and he says, why? Because the same experiences of suffering. You know what? The devil wants to use suffering to get inside you. First Peter is about suffering. It's how to stand in suffering, how to endure unjust suffering. And he says that if you stand and you resist the devil, why? But resist him from the faith, why? Knowing that other people are going through these same experiences. Other people are suffering. And then it goes on to say, and after you've suffered a while, God of all grace. He's he who called you to his eternal glory. He himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So this, this is the context of that passage, and, and it brings me to this, the issue of resisting in faith. And so I've got here uh, the shield of faith. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about it. So Ephesians says this, and I'm jumping into the middle of stuff, so there's a whole lot of background I don't, I'm not able to give. But it says, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, when it comes to the armor of God, every piece of armor defeats a particular strategy of the devil. And I don't have time to go through this. But the reason you need the belt of truth is because one of the enemy's strategies is deception. He can deceive you. You can deceive yourselves. You can be deceived by others. You can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, and there's even deceitfulness in riches. And unless you have truth as your foundation, you're not going to be guarded against deception or duplicity. Duplicity is where you put on a certain front, but it's not true of what's happening on the inside. There's not integrity of heart. And that, the belt of truth will protect you from deception and duplicity, and that's a whole other message. The same, the, shield, uh, the breastplate of righteousness will protect you against accusation and temptation and so on. But when it comes to the shield of faith, I think the purpose of the shield of faith has both external and internal. Because we face trials, we face suffering, we face affliction on the outside. The apostles faced that. But regardless of the source of that, the devil is wanting to get inside to create doubt, to create fear, to create discouragement. That's where his flaming arrows come. And so there are different sources of trials. And I don't have time to, to look at each of these, but we know that God can allow trials. In fact, he even sets them up. Jesus delayed coming to Lazarus' 
aid in healing him so that Lazarus would die and he could prove himself bigger than death. So there are times where God allows things and, 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 and actually arranges things that he can show his strength and power. We know that creation, sometimes in the winter, if you don't plug your car in, your car doesn't start. You know, we, we suffer because of creation. COVID, the fallen world, the futility of the creation that we're in. Us, you know, your own sinful choices. It's called sowing and reaping. You can suffer at the hands of your own choices. You can suffer because of others. Joseph did. Sold as a slave, falsely accused, ended up in prison. Right? And Satan. Satan can afflict us in numerous ways. And one of those ways is suffering. In fact, John talks about this. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, this is in the book of Revelation. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. Why? So that you can be tested. Who's throwing them into prison? Now, the devil isn't physically doing that. He's stirring up leaders who oppose the things of God to throw the saints into prison. He can also afflict in other ways. Paul said, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, some people think this is sickness because the word weakness can be translated infirmity. Others think it's his, the, the persecution and all the things that he, he faced. And I'm not going to get into that. But what it was, this messenger of Satan came, what? To torment him, to afflict him, to keep me from exalting myself. And in this case, God allowed it. But he goes on, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. You know, there are times we have an obstacle. We say, God, get rid of that obstacle. And God says, no, I have grace for you to rise above that obstacle and go over it. And so God gives us grace and strength. And then he goes on, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Regardless of the source, God has victory for you in the middle of that. Therefore, I am well content with what? With weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, so regardless of the source, God can use those things in your life for your good. God used the, the betrayal of Joseph's brothers to put him in the place that God had for him. God used the crucifixion on the cross to redeem the world. God can use the affliction of the enemy to create strength in your heart and life. But the issue is, don't let him get inside. Don't let him get inside. So we wanna take a look at the shield of faith and I'm going to just make sure I'm tracking here for time. <laughs> the shield of faith is important. What is, a little bit of historical background. There were three types of shields that were common in Paul's day. There were small round shields. These were used by the cavalry. That was easier if you're on horseback. There were the oval shields. 
that picture's not quite showing correctly on there. I'm not sure what's happened. Oh, that's better here. It's not as good back there. Okay. I just need to be looking back here. Um, so the, the oval shields were used by the auxiliary. And the big door-shaped shields, these were used by the centurions and, and the foot soldiers and, and so, so on. The Romans were known for their for military formations and how they would go out linking their shields together to go into battle. In fact, they, this is what would be called the turtle or the tortoise, and they would have shields. The people in front put their shields on front. The others put their shields on top. Why? Because when you went into battle, just like today, distant artillery was the first to come. Now, nowadays, you use drones and missiles and things like that. So you need an iron uh, dome like in, in Israel to, to blow those things up in the sky. But in this day, you would send your archers out, and they would send a barrage of arrows. Uh, you might get spears once they got a little bit closer. And sometimes they even would t take their arrows, they would dip them in tar, put some sort of fabric on it, dip it in tar, set it aflame, and launch it. Now, I don't know what you would feel like if you were standing there and this, this wall of arrow, flaming arrows came flying at you, you'd go, ah! So one of the things that the Roman soldiers would do is they would skin their shields, this one doesn't have it, uh, with leather. And they would soak their shields in water before the war. And they'd go out, and in these formations, whether they were fiery arrows or not fiery arrows, they would be able to fend off all of this barrage of arrows that was coming at them as they made their advances. Accounts are of soldiers, dozens and dozens and dozens of arrows stuck in their shields as they're moving forward. And so that's the importance of the shield. Not, uh, and so you can see some of the formations uh, that are done from this. Not only that, soldiers in those days had hand darts. They're called plumbata. I've actually got one of these, but I left it at another church, and I'll have to get it. These are lethal. I mean, if they, if they hit you in the right place. They're lead-weighted hand darts. Remember the days of the lawn darts and how they outlawed them because people would stab their... These, 10 times worse. And the purpose of these is once you got close enough, you would throw these, and, and you might not kill someone, but if you could wound them in the leg or wound them in the arm, when it came to hand-to-hand -hand combat, they're disabled somewhat. And, and so you're able to have an upper edge on it. And the shield would also fend against these types of arrows. Okay. Now, I, just let me go back here a second. Paul, if we look at all of the armor of God, and if you study it, although Paul is, used, is familiar with Roman armor, and that's what he's using, all of his spiritual parallels are from the Old Testament. In fact, for every piece of armor other than the shield of faith, they all come out of the book of Isaiah. There's a divine warrior motif in Isaiah. 
And every one of these pieces of armor, Paul is drawing his meaning from the book of Isaiah. Now, when it comes to the shield of faith, I believe he also is drawing his meaning from the Old Testament. And so let's take a look at what this means. The first time shield even comes up is in Genesis, and it's referring to God. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. The second time it comes up, God is a shield around his people. This is the recurring theme in the Old Testament. You go to the Psalms. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Psalm 18. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, and who I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. This is the theme. And this theme is linked regularly with trust. So it says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts him, and in him I am helped. Our soul waits down in the next passage. He is our help and our shield. Verse 21, for our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. See, the shield of faith, and I'll talk about what faith is. I think we've been mistaught sometimes what faith is. But I believe the shield of faith is this. It's trust in God in times of external trial, suffering, and affliction, but it's also trust in God during times of internal doubt and fear. That's the shield of faith. We're going to look at how this will protect you to stand strong. You know, what is on that? uh, It's taking off my animation because it's imported into the other program. Um, there are two options that we hear about today, and you can't totally see the one that's red. But uh, some people teach that faith is an internal, spiritual, or mental force. That if you just convince yourself enough, you will have inner power that will bring that about. That could not be further from the truth. And so if you just confess enough, trust enough, believe enough, convince yourself enough, you will have this inner thing that's going to bring that about. And I don't believe that's a true definition of faith. I believe faith is relational trust. Faith always has an object. Faith has to place its trust in something. And the primary focus of that faith is God. And we'll, we'll take a look at that. I love this quote by Bruce Shelley. Faith in the biblical sense is not a self-confidence, a sort of continually puffing, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. If I just believe harder, if I just convince myself more, that's not faith. Like the little train who could. It's more like the face of a bride as she says, I do to the young man who trusts to provide, who she trusts to provide for her future. You see, the faith is in God. 
We're going to look at this. So, so what is faith? And the Bible says, take up the shield of faith. This is something we need to take up, something we need to do. And so let's take, so faith, for some reason it's not showing some of my slides there, but I might have them blanked out. But faith, what is it? I don't think it's that force. I don't think it's that, I think it's this relational trust. And the reason being, uh, we'll go on and we'll, I'll, I'll unpack it as we go along. Okay, the first way you can take up the shield of faith then, if it is relational trust, is by getting to know God. Faith comes from knowing God. The more you know him, the more you trust him. So Paul says this, for this reason I also suffer these things. Paul's in prison, he's writing, he's suffering, and he says, but I'm not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I've believed. I know who I believe. And I'm convinced that he is able to keep or guard what I've entrusted to him. Paul can be in prison. And he says, the reason I can be convinced, the reason I can have assurance, the reason I can have confidence is because I know whom I believed. And because I know him, I know he's able to keep what I've given to him. I've got care for all the churches. I've got care for my life and future. I've got care for what's happening, you know. But I've entrusted that to God, and I know he's faithful. In fact, relational trust, they say from research, is built on three things. One is uh, integrity of character. If you know that I'm an honest person and that I'm not going to deceive you, then you will trust me, you know, if, if I'm going to treat you honestly. I have integrity. I'm going to keep my word. Then you trust me. If you know my motives are good, that I have your well-being at heart, then you will trust me. If you question my character, if you question my motives, you're not gonna trust me. And they do this in a court of law all the time. If you can undermine the character of a particular witness, he loses credibility. If you can undermine his motive and say, he's getting paid off, you undermine his credibility. And the third thing is demonstrated competence. Now, you might say, Pastor Paul, I trust you in this area. I would come to you with some of these problems, or, or I might trust your exposition of the word or whatever. But you're not going to come to me and say, Pastor Paul, I need open-heart surgery. <laughs> uh, would you do it for me? I have no demonstrated competence. Now, here's the issue. Can you trust God's character? God is faithful. God will never leave us or forsake us. God is, is everything of integrity. Can you trust God's motive, even in trial? When we read that verse, I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, they're plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Do you know that's in the context of captivity? And in the context where Jeremiah says, you're going to be in captivity for another 70 years, and the false prophets were saying, no, the yoke of slavery and bondage is broken off of you. And God says, no. 
But he says, my thoughts and plans are for you or for good. See, when you trust the goodness of God, when you trust the character of God and the, that God has your well-being at heart, that he loves you, then all of a sudden there's something that rises in you and says, you know what, God, I can't see it. I don't understand it, but I trust you. I trust you. And that enables you to walk through those moments of suffering. That's why we, being anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart. Why? Because you're t- you, you trust him enough to give him your anxieties, to pray with thanksgiving, which is a posture of faith. You need both wings. Prayer with thanksgiving. If, you're, if you don't, you're a one-winged bird, and you're just gonna, you know? You need both, that's a posture of faith. Jesus, when he said, when he taught about, don't worry about what you're gonna eat. Don't worry about what you're gonna wear. What do you say? Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. If God cares for them, how much more does he care for you? See, faith is not, oh, if I just could convince myself of something. No, faith is looking to a heavenly father who provides. Faith is placing your, and, and it builds in you, and you go, God, you are, you are trustworthy. He's the foundation of your faith. And so the Bible says in Mark 11, 12, uh, 22, have faith in God. In another place, Jesus says, trust in God, trust also in me. In fact, if you look at all the times where it says believe in, trust in, uh, and so on, those more than 140 times the Bible calls us to place our trust in God. That's the focus of our faith. And that comes from knowing him. And the more you know him, the more you trust him. You know, when Jesus says, you have little faith when they're in the storm and they're all worried and he rebukes, why? He's trusting in his father, they aren't. It's not something that you're building up on the inside. Okay, now I gotta produce this inside me. No, I look to God. I build my confidence in him and my faith grows. And I think I can prove that over and over throughout the scripture. God is trustworthy. God loves us, he has all power, and sometimes, but he's also all-knowing, and sometimes we don't see why he allows things in our lives. Okay, I need to move on. Um, One final verse on this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes and its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought. What this saying? If your trust is rooted in God, it doesn't matter what circumstances come your way. You're not gonna fear. You're not gonna be anxious. The devil's not gonna get inside your shell. He's not gonna devour you on the inside. And that brings me to the second way we grow on our faith. And that's growing in your knowledge of the word. We all know faith comes by hearing 
uh, and hearing by the word of Christ. This is speaking of the gospel. And as the gospel goes out and the love of God is demonstrated in Christ and people hear that, faith arises in their heart and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But this is true with all of God's word. The reason we trust the word of God is because we trust the God of the word. God is reliable. He's not a man that he should lie. And so when it comes to faith, God, we can trust his word. So I have a $5 bill here. Do you realize this paper in and of itself, it's plastic now, is worth virtually nothing? Why is this worth five bucks? Because the government is behind it. I mean, it used to be backed with gold and silver, but not anymore. But the government says, you can take this promissory note, and it could read on here, $100. And the paper wouldn't be worth any more than the paper here. But the value is the promise. And the promise is valuable because behind it, the government authorizes this is a promise of $5 worth of goods. And the reason we trust the word of God because the God of the word backs his word. And when he makes a promise, you can know it's yes and amen in him. You can stand on it. And so as we grow in his word, we grow in faith because faith shows us more about who our God is and God will back his word. You know, if you go through the faith chapter in Hebrews 11, in nearly every case, the men of faith responded, not to, I'm just gonna do this and, and produce faith in myself. In every case, they responded to a direction from God, from a word from God. Noah built an ark because he was warned by God. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going because God called him and he trusted God, so he trusted the word. Sarah conceived, considering him faithful who had promised. Abraham, who received the promises, believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead because if, if, if your seed is going to be through Isaac and that's your promise, then if you're going to ask me to kill him, you're going to have to raise him up. They believed the promise because they believed the God of the promise. And if you get into God's word and you get to know God through his word, you will grow in your faith. Three, by growing in trial. Trials are designed to grow your faith. We know this passage, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith, what does it do? Produces endurance. And if you let endurance have its way, you'll be mature and complete. In fact, Peter also talks about this, that your faith, which is more precious than gold, is tried in the fire. And it brings the dross to the surface and God scoops it off and he refines you. But here's the issue. How, Mark and I used to work out together. We need to do it again. How do you grow muscle? Resistance. You know, astronauts can lose their muscle because there's no gravity. You grow muscle through resistance. Faith when you trust God in a level of trial and your faith grows, now you're ready for a bigger trial. 
You're not ready for 100 pounds if you can't lift 50 pounds. And here's the issue. There's a lot of Christians whose faith should have grown, but it hasn't. And so when a bigger trial comes on, it wipes them out. Because trials themselves don't mature you. It's your response in the trial that matures you. You can get bitter or you can get better. And when you go through that trial, how do you respond? And that's why Peter's all about this. <laughs> you know, what credit is there if you suffer for what you deserve, he goes on. But then verse 21, Christ gave you an example for you to follow in his steps. How did Jesus respond to trial? First of all, he committed no sin. How many know in trial, you get into this whole pain pleasure thing? Oh, it's so hard, I'm just going to go forget about it. And people go off and sin, or they do whatever. Notice he didn't stumble with his mouth. There was no deceit found in his mouth. While he was being reviled, he didn't revile in return. While he was suffering, he uttered no threats. He wasn't saying, you, you just wait till I get my father to send his angels and destroy you. And what did he do? He entrusted his soul to him who judges righteously. This is how you respond to trial. You say, okay, God, help me in this trial not to sin. Help me in this trial not to stumble with my mouth and blow up at people that I'm blaming because of this. And help me to entrust myself to you because in the end, you're going to work this out. In fact, Peter goes on to say, therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God entrust now, notice the repeating here. Paul entrusted to God whom he knew. Peter says, Jesus entrusted to God whom he knew. Now, Peter says, entrust your souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. What is entrusting? Entrusting is giving the responsibility and care for something you value to someone you trust. How do you handle suffering and trial? Trust. And you give what you value to God and say, God, it's yours. You look after my wife in her cancer. You look after my kids that have strayed. You look after my finances. You look, whatever it is, and you give it. And in that trial, God will use that trial to grow you. You will respond. You will let endurance have its way and you can become uh, mature. Finally, by inviting others to stand with you, and this is where we're going to close this morning. The shield was the one protective piece of armor that they joined together to fend off the enemy. And there's something about other believers standing with you that strengthens your faith. And so Paul says this in Acts then he returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. What is he doing? He's strengthening their souls. How? Encouraging them to continue in the faith. Do you know, I believe that one of the purposes of leadership and one of the purposes of my ministry is to strengthen the hearts of people. Because people are being downtrodden and, and the enemy's trying to get inside 
and you need your heart strengthened. And so someone could come along and exhort you, but you can do this with one another as well. Paul says in Romans 1, For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that, may be, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. You see, when I hear a testimony of what God has done in your life, it builds my faith. When you hear a testimony of what God has done in my life, it builds your faith. Because it glorifies the goodness of God and the greatness of God. Amen? And so when you're going through trial, press into God. Press into his word. Grow in that trial and find brothers and sisters, like maybe a Stephen minister, who can stand alongside you and say, you know what, brother? I'm here for you. God is here for you. Amen? Let's stand together. And so as we close this morning, and we're going to just dismiss you, but if you, would, if you need someone to stand with you and you say, you know what, I'm going through it, then I'm sure the prayer workers will be here. I'm happy to pray with you. Or maybe there's someone in your pew and you can just go over to them and say, you know, I'm hurting right now and I'm doubting and the enemy is boring a hole inside my shell and I don't want him to eat me. I want to resist him firm in the faith. I want to stand strong and have someone stand with you and resist together with you. Amen? Heavenly Father, I pray that you will take this word, that you will build our faith, that we can stand strong in trial, in times of testing, regardless of the source, regardless of the cause. And I pray for some this morning that might be struggling, in particular, that God, you would give them a surge of confidence in you right now that would cause them to stand and resist the devil. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.